Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, episode five, part two on guns. Uh, I think it's necessary to start out this episode with with an apology. Um, I feel like it's necessary. I feel like I took a a fairly lighthearted stance on on the issue of shootings and, and gun violence in America, and while I think it's somewhat justified, at the same time. I do feel an incredible amount of empathy for all the people who have been who have been murdered by other people. I think, um, as a people person, it does tug my heartstrings. It it makes me sad, and 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 it makes me terrified um, at a point. You know, for my kids, hmm. because I feel like we do live in a society where violence is is sort of normalized, and. You know whether it's whether it's mass shootings or, um, or music on the radio, TV shows, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so so I don't want to be too too cold, um, you know, and too calculated when we're talking about an issue like this. Well, I think I think there's two two sides to it though. I mean, you, you're right. Absolutely, I don't want to do these episodes and for people to think that we are completely numb to um, the very real holes that are torn in families from all of these incidents, like, you know, all these shootings, even even the suicides. You know, we, we talked about suicides last episode. However, at the same time, when, when you're going to talk about regulations and, and laws and, and how we proceed in that manner, I think you have to divest yourself from that emotion. For instance... Uh, you know, September 12th, 2001 was probably not the best day to talk about immigration policy, Touché. you know, and, and while there is that whole argument, you know, I think uh, a lot of people on the right say, you know, now is not the time to talk about this. I, I, I don't buy into that. I think you can talk about it the next day. Um, however, you do have to check that stuff at the door because you cannot, you know, come up with a sane way forward if you yourself are in a whirlwind of grief or if you're you're living with that fear. So I believe we're fully capable of doing that. It's just that oftentimes we choose not to. And we also allow, um, you know, <laughs> once again, to bang on the media, but we allow the media to keep us in that, that hyper-emotional state, you know, whether it be, uh, again, grief for the victims or, or fear for right. our own. Um, that keeps us always on edge, and it's hard to have this conversation. It is, um, and I think that these high-profile mass shootings, they 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 whip us into a frenzy, mm -hmm. and it prevents any sort of real conversation from happening. Um, and and I think it's interesting to note that mass shootings. I mean, there are varying definitions. Some say two or more injured three or more injured, two or more killed. Some definitions include the, you know, the shooter. Yeah, whether if the, they count the shooter or not. Right. Yeah. So if the shooter was shot by police, then that, that bumps it up. But mass shootings have been going on in this country since I was, since I was tiny. I remember hearing stories about the drive-by, hmm. um, you know, where an innocent kid got hit hmm. or something. And well, not to mention, you know, uh, what Beanzo busted us uh, last episode for the St. Valentine's Day massacre. That's right. I mean, yeah, there. I mean, there have been mass shootings for a long time in this country. Granted, the ones that are high profile now are are in a class of their own. It's a it's mm -hmm. a different thing. You know, we we know about some of the causes of violence and, and poverty and things like that. But 
you know, the Las Vegas shooter was rich. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a businessman. He, he wasn't mentally ill. He didn't have some sort of manifesto. Um, as far as we know, you know, no background check on the planet yeah. would have caught this guy and stopped him. And, and that makes it especially scary um, because, like you said, I mean, he would have he slipped through the cracks with what we have on the books. But that's in his instance. If, if we look at, you know, something like gang shootings, which, by the way, uh, comprise a great deal of the number of mass shootings in the country. I mean, when we see the stat that there's a mass shooting every, every 60 days or whatever the number is, I'm not sure. Um, you know, we, we think that they're all Las Vegas or that they're all Jonesboro or, or Aurora or stuff like that. But actually, the vast majority of them are, like we said, shootings of three or four people, you know, gang shootings. And in those cases, background checks are, are pretty effective. You know, they, they do. They're pretty effective. However, I'd like to point out that they're still there. I mean, right. And, and most of those people are not going to a gun store and never will. They're buying black market guns. Right. Um, and they're, they're mostly, mostly handguns. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's also pretty important to point out that gang shootings have been going on in this country for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been no big public outcry to ban guns. Right. I, I hate to use the term, um, but that's white privilege in action. Man, yeah. when we finally get off our asses to, to do something about the gun problem because it's happening in our schools and in our churches and mm-hmm. in our movie theaters, um, at our ball games, like give give me a break, guys. Yeah. Like look at look at yourselves real long and hard there. And and I think we all have to ask ourselves, especially when it comes to like regulating um, and, and enacting new laws. You know why are why are we doing that? Are we trying to save lives? Right. Will it save lives? Right. Well, that, that's kind of. I mean, I, I totally agree with you as much, and I really hate uh, to just you know throw out the term white privilege. However, um, there is truth to the old adage that you know, like like with the heroin epidemic, like once the white kids start doing it, now it's an epidemic. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's absolutely true because now it impacts people and you know they're like i could go watch a movie friday night and get shot up by some dude you right know? previously so, you could just choose not to go in the wrong neighborhood in chicago right and and you were fine so it didn't touch you what it's caused us to do is we just want to well background checks aren't good enough and we got to you know what I'm, and like and we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. we have uh you know laws in this country that that need tweaking you know, but as far as going from from that standpoint, they're they're pretty good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, there's also there's this other real weird oddity, um, and I, and I think I mentioned in the last episode I did that that crime and violent crime and gun crime is on an overall downward trend. However, mm-hmm. these crazy mass shootings, these high profile mass shootings in public places, are on a definite upward trend. Um, mm-hmm. we're seeing more of them. So I think, I think we have to kind of separate these out to an extent and say, what are the societal factors at play here? Uh, are there societal factors at play? Here? Well, I think, I think, you know, the, yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point. Like, so what I think we do with legislation oftentimes is, you know, it's like triage. You want, you want to patch the wound that's bleeding the most. Right. So to me, the question is if, if crime's going down and mass shootings are up, why are we focused on the availability of assault weapons or, or what have you? 
Right. Because they were there. Something is causing mass shootings to go up. And it's not, you know, the, the availability of these weapons. Something else is, is driving that, is causing that, because these weapons have been there. That's right. So I, I think we, we also, we, we find that even if, let's say we took the weapons away, you know, uh, Columbine, there was pipe bombs. Uh, Timothy McVeigh, there was a fertilizer bomb. It's hard to get fertilizer now. We hear, we hear about the uh, truck attack, the in, truck in attacks, Paris. the the sword attacks. So my question becomes: Are you worried about the 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 ease with which the shooter can do it, like his body count and stuff, or are you worried about stopping the incident from happening? Right. Like like that's and, and it seems to me when we you know, pass legislation like the, the freaking assault weapons ban back in 1994. Here we are worried about creating this arbitrary class of weapons. And now if it's got this doodad and that doodad, that makes it illegal. And this doesn't. And when we're having a conversation that is completely beside well, the point. We also, we also ban magazines greater than 10 in capacity, which is something that, that I hear thrown around a lot that, right. that needs to happen is some kind of, you know, magazine size ban. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, you can tape two mags together. Yeah, uh, you can put six yeah. mags in your pocket. You can, you know, you can reload fast. So at that point, you're talking about like shaving seconds off of this killing spree is is what you're worried about. You're like, okay, yeah. well, so he can't shoot a hundred rounds in a row. He's going to shoot ten and then have to reload and shoot ten more and then reload and shoot ten more. So you're literally saying the solution is to slow down his killing spree. Yeah, like don't worry about turning off the spigot. And guys, that's, and let's that's, not even think about how to do that. And like, that's where we're putting all of our energy, exactly. all of our energy in this conversation. And and hatred and anger and and yeah, and and you feel righteous about it. And that's it's kind of you know that's the hard one of the hardest parts of this issue is that it is really easy to get behind any sort of gun control and feel super righteous, yeah. um, whether it whether it works or not, whether it you know whether it's it's good or not, whether it impacts. Uh, law-abiding uh, gun owners or not. And I think we have to be really honest with ourselves when we ask for increased regulation. What we're asking for is more criminals, more people in jail, and and we are using the force and the violence and the gun violence of the state to back that up. Yeah. And and to me, that's that's the total opposite of what we should be doing here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're creating a whole nother class of criminal, and and again, I'm going to go back to and and often in the wrong, uh, you're going in the wrong area with it. I, I'm I'm sitting here with the FBI chart for uh, you know, it's got murders by weapons broken down over years. All right, we we can pretty much agree that almost the entire scope of the conversation in this country right now is about semi-auto, semi-automatic weapons. Assault weapons, and, and, and specifically, rifles. yes. Yeah. And especially after uh, after Las Vegas. Um, but however, if you look at these numbers, uh, virtually every year, handguns far and away outpace uh, homicides by rifle. Uh, uh, 2010, handguns 6,000 uh, homicides, rifles 367. Uh, 2011, uh, handguns, 6,200 homicides, rifles, 332. In fact, uh, more people are killed every year, uh, with people's hands and fists than they are by rifles. But the entire conversation 
is is hinging on these rifles and it's and because why? it's sexy it's 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 again it's like it's that it's we envision you know these uh this it's like the rambo culture and we expect them to all have big ak-47s and m16s and stuff and we never talk about the fact that that really and truly the the problem if there is a problem here with with the the gun violence it's happening with the handguns you know, so so if you're gonna if you're gonna go after it, and yet again, isn't that just a big white shining example of privilege? Yeah. I mean, really, if 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 we are focused, if 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 we're worried about saving lives, mm-hmm. and we're talking about removing a specific type of gun to save lives, the the conversation there should be on handguns, but it's not. Right. And and these are the types of logical issues that have me scratching my head at the national conversation. So when the right says things like, oh, they're, they're just, it's a slippery slope and they're trying to take your, all your guns. At yeah. some point you gotta, you gotta say, well, something weird's going on. Well, I mean, for them to be logically consistent, they almost would have to be. And I think we here recently, we've seen that veil uh, begin to drop right after uh, Vegas. I mean, there was an article in the new Republic. Should we ban all guns? Yes. All of them. Virtually every time there's one of these shootings, um, Australia comes up and, and we hear about the Australian gun ban. And it's because to go down your road of gun legislation being the answer, that's pretty much the only way. Right. And, is, and, and is, we know is, that is banning virtually all of them. We, we know that the assault weapons ban didn't work. Absolutely. That's why Absolutely. it didn't get renewed. Um, and they banned large magazine sizes, anything over mm-hmm. 10, over 10 rounds. They banned, uh, AR 15s. They had a specific list of, of automatic semi-automatic rifles that were banned. Mm-hmm. And then anything that fell into a certain category, if it had a pistol right. grip and a folding stock or, yeah. uh, you know, a, a, a bayonet and a, and a folding stock, any of the two classifications made it an assault rifle and, and illegal to own. And, and when we looked at that law, when it was up for renewal, it was, it was under a 10 year period. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at the data and figured out it had really no discernible effect. And I've got a quote from, uh, uh, the study that Christopher Coper did. Uh, although the ban has been successful in reducing crimes with assault weapons, any benefits from this reduction are likely to have been outweighed by steady or rising use of non-banned semi-automatics. Uh, which are used in crime much more frequently than assault weapons. Therefore, we cannot clearly credit the ban with any of the nation's recent drop in gun violence. And indeed, there's been no discernible reduction in the lethality or injuriousness of gun violence based on indicators like the percentage percentage of gun crimes resulting in death or the share of gunfire incidents resulting in injury. So, I mean, that that tells the tale right there. There is not, we can't just ban a small portion. That's not going to work. Right. And, and I think in a utopian dream where, where all the guns suddenly disappear out of America tomorrow, I think we can agree there would be no gun violence right? because the guns don't exist. But the key word there being a utopian dream. Right. So constantly Australia and, and Great Britain are, are held up and, 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 you know, waved and say, well, we, I, I see, I saw a Slate article not too long ago, what we can learn from what Australia did. And, you know, Australia did this and Australia did that. But the, the idea that we could even begin to do what Australia did here is insane. Well, um, I, I looked into it, man. Um, there were 600. So, so Australia did a buyback program 
where they offered uh, market value, I think, for for guns, and and you came mm-hmm. and, and turned them in, and they would they would buy your gun from you. Mm-hmm. Um, they bought six hundred and sixty thousand guns at a cost of three hundred and four million dollars. Uh, that's four hundred sixty dollars per gun on average. And I sat and did some back of the envelope math. Uh, America's cost to buy back our guns is a hundred and fifty billion dollars. Yeah. So to put that in perspective, we spend $102 billion on education every year and $600 billion on defense every year. So now, you know, we can talk another day about whether or not the defense budget, you know, how out of whack it is. But at any rate, where are we going to get $150 billion? We're just going to cough up $150 billion. Okay. All the people, let's pretend all the people who are in support uh, voluntarily you know, add a tax to their income and, and next year we have the money yeah. and, and this is going forward. Let's pretend for a second yeah. that this is the mandate. Right. Now we're going to send armed men with guns to each gun owner's house mm-hmm. and collect these guns. Which, by the way, is the only way that you're going to get all the guns because when Australia did their buyback program, their estimates are they only got a fifth to a third of the guns in the country back. Now they did another buyback. I think it was uh, yeah, seven or eight years later, they got another, you know, third of the guns in, but you know, they, they still haven't gotten all the guns off the street. So you run into a situation, you know, let me, let me talk about great Britain for a minute. Um, so we've talked about the downward trend of violence, right? It's important to note that Australia has not had a mass shooting since they did their gun ban. However, uh, I think that's wrong. I think there was one fairly recently. Uh, well, there uh, there was one in the middle. We'll let we'll let Benzo have at it. Yeah. But um, at any rate, um, Australia, however, their their rates of, of of violence and stuff kept with the trend that they were already you know, going with, like it didn't, it's not like it, yeah, it completely eliminated mass shootings, but as far as violent crime, that still dropped at the same rate that it had been dropping before the, the ban got enacted. Now in Great Britain, which, you know, was what I was getting to, um, right after the gun ban, gun crime spiked for crazy. two years, right? For, oh no, hell, I think it was longer than that. And again, we can let Benzo bus shop on that, but I, I think it was like five or six years before it then came back and matched the downward trend that they, Australia and us, have we're been already, on for, we're for 20, 30 years. Right, right, right. So actually we saw, I mean, that's that's pretty solid proof in my book that the gun ban led to an immediate increase in crime. Because all of a sudden the criminals realized they were the only ones that had the guns. Right. And, and there's actually, there are some interesting uh, correlations that I found when diving through the data. Um, and I, I was just looking for pieces of evidence that, you know, removing, that lowering gun ownership would, would lower gun crime. And, and I don't think that's true. I mean, you look at the three highest ranked countries in firearm, firearm homicides. Uh, they're Honduras, El Salvador, and Jamaica. They're 87th, 89, and 71st in gun mm-hmm. ownership. So no one owns guns there, but they have an incredibly high amount of gun crime right. per capita. So you, I mean, I think we have to look at this and we've got to scratch our heads. And, and really, no, don't scratch your heads. Look at it for what it is, man. Guns don't kill people. People right. kill people. If, if you and I sit in this room and we start adding an AK-47 every five minutes. 
every five minutes. And, and we turn the heat up and we get mad as shit. And we start talking about each other's mamas. There is no situation where you and I, no matter how many guns are in this room, will pick one of them up and shoot the other one. Right. Right. You might slap me. Yeah. I might say something red. Yeah. Um, I'll probably trip you and push you down, but that's, that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> but, but no, realistically, healthy people don't kill people. Hmm. They just, they just don't. Um, I mean, we look at, look at Rwanda, the, the Rwandan no. genocide, man. Yeah, and, and, and so Rwanda is low. Uh, he's definitely low on the on the list of gun ownership as well. Um, however, you know, when, when the Rwandan genocide took place, you've got people killing each other with machetes now. Exactly. Those people don't have any guns. That's not to say, obviously, the conditions in Rwanda and the conditions here are, are much different. But the point is, the violence doesn't go anywhere. Right. It doesn't go anywhere because you denied it one avenue. Right. So the question... I, I think you and I are, if, if you guys don't take anything else away from these two episodes, realize that the question is, what is causing the violence? What is causing it, and what can we do to stem it there? And it's, it's funny you say that. I mean, I think we have, we have lots of ideas about the causes of violence. We've done study after study. Um, we've looked, we've looked at numbers and statistics for many years and we have actionable information. We know that, um, that there are societal factors at play. We know that, uh, parenting affects, uh, affects violence. We know that the media affects violence. We know mental health, we know poverty. Um, I've got some stats here. Persons in poor households had a higher rate of violence involving a firearm, 3.5 per a thousand compared to persons above the poverty line. 0.8 to 2.5 per 1,000. Per, poor persons living in urban areas, 43.9 per, per 1,000, had violent victimization rates similar uh, uh, similar to poor persons living in rural areas, 3.8, 38.8 per 1,000. Uh, that's the National Crime Victimization Survey. So we know that, that violence follows poverty. Why is this not part of our national conversation? Right. It's almost like the voices that are the loudest and take over the conversation are screaming for something that we know is ineffective. Well, and it's, I, I go back to because we want the quick fix. Right. And, and I get it. They're, they're right. You know, uh, to an extent the, you can't, you can't sit there and say, let's work on all this, you know, invest in these long-term, you know, programs to see long-term rewards and do nothing you know, for the short term, but we are doing things for the short term, as we discussed with the background checks and so forth. And meanwhile, um, we're not, in my opinion, we're not pouring anywhere near as much time into that long term because everybody talks, you know, your, your stats about poverty and, and crime, who doesn't know that? Everyone, Everyone knows, that. knows it. But we don't talk about doing anything about it. We know. You know, mental health. Mental health has come up, I don't know how many times, with these shootings. But at the same time, like, we talk about it. We say, hey, you know, we'll let the Social Security Administration arbitrarily decide who's mentally ill. And we go on about our day. I, I, ProPublica did a great piece uh, called Myth vs. Fact, Violence and Mental Health. I think everyone should go read it. Um, and I've got a, I've got a snippet from that, uh, to share with you guys, because I just, I thought it was, I thought it was poignant. Um, 
we need to think of violence itself as a communicable disease. We have kids growing up exposed to terrible trauma. We did a study some years ago looking at violence risk among people with serious mental illness. The three risk factors we found were most important. First, a history of violent victimization early in life. Second, substance abuse. And the third is exposure to violence in the environment around you. People who had none of those risk factors, even with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, had very low rates of violent behaviors. And I think when we're, when we're talking about gun violence, the subject of, of mental health comes up a ton. It comes up over and over. And, and while someone grabbing a gun and shooting, you know, 10, 25, 6, 28, 500 people, yeah. to me, that makes you mentally ill. That definitely qualifies. Yeah. But I, I think, I mean, when we look at the stats, the majority of mass shooters have not been already diagnosed with some sort of, some sort of mental illness. So right. while, while increasing treatment for mentally ill, um, you know, may, may help. I think the overwhelming majority of cases, um, there are other factors at play. I mean, we look, the list goes on and on. We look at population density and stress. Um, I've got a, a study here that said high population density had been found to be related to serious pathological behavior in humans. Um, this was as far back as 1972. They studied 75 community areas in Chicago of varying density um, they compared the communities on housing density, mortality, fertility, juvenile delinquency, um, density housing defined as the number of people per room, uh, was the most important factor relating to pathology in humans, followed by number of housing units per structure. Um, additionally, they found that housing density was related to increased mortality, fertility, juvenile delinquency, and public assistance. So... You know, we've we've known about these factors since 72, but no one's talking about them. Yeah. Why is that not again? Why is that not part of the national conversation? It's well, almost like I mean, the information's out there. The newspaper editors know about the information. The writers know about the information. Why are we not having this conversation about things that we know can help? Because we again, I say we try to deal with everything at, at the surface level. I mean, you know, look, look at what you had to say about mental health there. And I think that if I say to you, um, there are mass shootings uh, because people are mentally ill. Uh, we're thinking, uh, you know, bipolar, schizophrenic, like, you know, flashy uh, you know, mental health problems that, you know, you're just a rambling wreck, like, uh, you know, uh, the, the dude in Aurora or, you know, or, or right. Offner. Um, however, you know, what you, what you highlighted is that it's sometimes it's much more subtle than that. And it's, it's these other factors that combine and swirl. And, you know, we take a dude who was, you know, victimized early in life and then we put him in, uh, let's jump over here to your high population density center and somebody who, you know, seemed to be, you know, functioning completely normally and stuff, all of a sudden they they snap or it clicks and it's time and they go and they mow these people down. And we don't want to unpack all that. We don't want to get into the nitty gritty of what we've got to do. Like, we don't want to get into uh, how we're going to build a support center for people who are victimized early in life. We don't want to get into what are we going to do about these these housing issues where we're packing people like sardines like you know san francisco's See, housing's jacked I kind of disagree. we don't want to look at all you that. say we don't want to but but many of the people who are close to me in my life spend their lives 
doing these things and, and attacking these issues on the ground, um, you know, in a, in a social setting. The problem to me is that is not that people don't want to do it. It's that there is this concerted power who controls the voice who ignores that part of the equation consistently. I, I, don't, I don't know, man, because I think uh, even those people who are out there, you know, fighting the good fight every day, they 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 do it at least in my experience they do it from a uh you know almost like a martyr's perspective they don't expect to get there they just expect to you know to sit there and 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 put a chip away at it put a dent in it put a dent in the homeless problem and that's and great so on and i mean so that's, forth. that's how it's no, done no that's great but the problem is meanwhile we're having a broad national conversation about whether or not to ban these tools when we should be having a broad national conversation about the thing that they're going out and working on this week and that's my point i that, mean that yeah. right there is my point the so, people controlling that conversation but the reason is is because we have this perception that it's it's uh, an unclimbable hill I mean, seriously, like homelessness, think about it for a second, homelessness. Look at the day and age we live in and look at how, uh, you know, prevalent homelessness is and, and think about how people think of soup kitchens and how people think of, uh, you know, uh, uh, shelters and stuff like that. They're all stop gaps. Everyone thinks and sees it as a stop gap. No one stops and says okay well let's stop doing the stop gap let's let's put together the thing and fix it because i can just build a shelter i can just outlaw assault weapons and now i feel good and i get to go home and i watch tv and i did something you know it's it to me it's like it's virtue sick well you say you say it's a stop gap but at the same time what <laughs> explains the dramatic decrease in crime then if if these things are just are just stop gaps, we are on a steady downward trend for 20 years of, of becoming a less violent society. Like something is working there and it's not in regulations and maybe maybe uh, maybe longer prison prison sentences no, no, and, no. and putting more people in prison has helped. I, you know, I, I don't think know. no, I think I think you I think you mistake um, what, what I'm saying. No, the reason I think that there has been a, a downward trend in crime is because we do have more people looking into more of those solutions, but I don't think they understand the power that they have. Like, I, I don't think as a nation we realize how much more effective a, a, a program that talks to at-risk youth can be than worrying about whether or not there's guns on the street. You know, you know what I'm saying? Can like, you imagine for a second if all the people – who are in favor of, of a gun buyback program and understand the $100 billion that it's going to cost, would accept for a second to spend that $100 billion on, on social programs? Right. On, on stopping inner city violence, on bringing children out of a cycle of poverty and, and, and victimization? Like, what, what impact would that have on violent crime? Like, if, if you imagine... A, a 50-year-old white dude snapping and shooting 500 people like there's got to be something there that 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 was so gross and disgusting to him mm -hmm. in the world that he viewed that allowed him to do that i mean right. there, there has to be can you imagine for a second if we start tackling those things yeah i mean we we as a, and they're things that will benefit all of society hmm. um but it's just it's not the conversation isn't there for some reason and and that's what creates this this divide i think is that mm -hmm. is that half the people the, the pro gun people understand 
that the assault weapons ban is is laughable. Right. And it really is. I mean, the people who are pro-gun people know it's laughable. On the other side, that same argument keeps getting thrown up. I mean, it's it's another straw man. I hate to keep using the term, but yeah. it's like it's like our our entire culture is obsessed with this with this straw man with these straw man arguments that are constantly mm-hmm. being pushed at the at the national level. And and it just creates this divide where nothing meaningful can happen because because on one side they're right and on the other side they're right. I think I think it's even and this is something that, you know, we we almost come back to every episode, but I think it's more than that now. It is a deep see, you know, just a deep rooted tribalism that that will not allow anyone from one side to entertain the idea of the other side. And so now that is almost like even even taken over so that it's not um it's it's you know you say that people who are pro gun see the assault weapons ban as laughable. If that's the case, and I am pro gun ban, then that position must be wrong because they hold it. Right. You know what I mean. And 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 that's how far that divide has gotten, and that divide can only get there, again, if you're whipped into that hysteria and if your emotions govern you. And, and, you know, like I said, they're keeping us right at the edge with all that fear and grief and you just lash out. And when you do that, you're not talking about old 1972 population density studies. When, when you're at that point, you're not ready to talk about a, a seven year program and investment uh, that may pay dividends for the, you know, lower east side of this city. Like you want to get the damn things off the street. That's, that's, you know what I mean? So that, that's what I'm saying. Like we are not people who are used to taking the time and putting in the work to, to maintain our democracy. And that is where we've got to change. We, we, you can't, you can't go at this shit on the surface level. You can't go at it fly by night. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. So, so how the heck, I know we said in the last episode that we were going to talk a little bit about you know, how we move forward from here. And, mm-hmm. and I'm still at a loss. I am still at a, at a complete loss as to where we go from here. I mean, even if we can, we can acknowledge that there are legitimate uses of guns, that defensive gun use um, happens almost as much as, as you know, assaults. Assaults, with, crimes. With, yeah. yeah, as crimes with guns. Um, let's acknowledge for a second in the national conversation that if we do go door to door and grab guns, people are going to die. There are Americans that hold so closely to the belief that they should be able to defend themselves and not rely on some police officer to show up when, when a burglar is at their house that they will shoot back when their guns come to be grabbed. There's, there's no mistake about it. In fact, some people have guns because they're waiting for the day that somebody comes to take them. Exactly. You know, I mean, that's what they've, that is what we were taught to always be on guard for is tyranny. You know what I mean? And then they're coming here. They come to take my private property. So, I mean, that, that is the very event you're talking about kicking off the very event. (laughs) Right. You know, right. And I think we have to be honest that, that if we're talking about that's that sort of scenario, we're talking about a civil war. Right. And, and if, if we're talking about reducing gun violence, let me tell you, a civil war is not the way to reduce <laughs> yeah. gun violence. We're going to see a large spike Absolutely. in gun violence. And and we'll see 
you know, the monopoly that, that the state has on force. Yeah. And, and I think when we're talking about moving forward, using, you know, the old adage, you don't kill people to teach people that, that killing kill is wrong. wrong. Like yeah. we don't use lethal force to teach people that using lethal force is wrong either. I, right. I think that if we go the route of, of, of regulation, it's, it's completely antithesis to, to what we're trying to solve. Right. Um, so, so what, I mean, what, so where, where do you say you kind of shook your head at me when I said, I don't, I don't know where to go. Like you had, like you had a clear idea, but to me, like I should be going, uh, with, uh, with Richard Spaulding down here in Lexington and, and working with at-risk youth. Hmm. Um, you know, that seems like a clear, a clear path forward to me. What, what do you see? I mean, what, well, I mean, like as far as overall, like I think, um, I think the most important thing uh, with guns and with everything else is, like I said, divesting from all this emotion and talking to each other about it. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal, right? We can, you can, and and don't get me wrong, you should go downtown and work with at-risk youth or, you know, donate money if you can. Um, if, if, let's say you don't have the time to go down there and do it and you don't have the money, then if you got a friend that has the money, tell them, you know what I mean? Like share, share it on Facebook. Yeah. Share it on Facebook, man. Like push it. You should absolutely do those things. Meanwhile, back over here, uh, ain't a damn thing going to happen on a large enough scale until we both stop thinking the worst of each other. And I'm talking about the respective sides. Nothing is going to get done. Absolutely nothing. There are people who are talking about Australian gun bans and stuff like that. They're dude, they're scared. And you have to understand that they're scared. And, and, and that doesn't excuse, you know, some of the things that, you know, sometimes when they're willing to let a freedom slip and I'm really aggravated about it and I'm like, Jesus, man, how could you, how could you advocate for some, but, but they are scared. And there's people over here, like you said, the very fabric of their being, their identity as an American is interwoven with the fact that they own a gun. And, and that's what it is. And there is a middle ground. There is a compromise. That's the thing is they're not Nazis and they're not killers. Right. Absolutely. And, and they, they don't, they don't want people dead. And and the overwhelming majority. And I don't think that that the people who want to ban guns are, are authoritarian, you know, communists like all of them. I don't, I don't think that they're all fascists, you know, um, it's, it's, again, it's, it's, it is a, it's a position that is born of emotion. So now we have to pump brakes, recognize that and talk to each other calmly and rationally. We can't just keep feeding emotion into it. You know what I mean? So how do we ask, how do we ask the newspapers to, to cause, cause that's, I mean, that's, that's where I see the conversation starting. Uh, news articles that get shared on Facebook that, that, you know, move on to Facebook conversations that move on to, to interpersonal relationships. How, how do you ask your newspaper, like, look, run a story on a social program that worked. I mean, let's, let's talk about the Boston miracle. Mm -hmm. Um, social scientists, local police, neighborhood ministers work together with gang members. Um, and, and they saw an immediate drop in, in violent crime immediate you know that it worked they call it the boston miracle for god's sake like 
How do we get them to run that? Run that front page New York Times and get one of those programs going in every city. Well, you know, if if that is if the if the purpose is to save lives, yeah. because those are the lives that are that are at risk. The, the people who are dying are are poor people in ghettos across America. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. The overwhelming majority. Um, I think I think what I'm about to say, I think I'm going to get slaughtered for it, right? But um, you know, as as <laughs> As inconsistent uh, as it may be, I think it's the truth. The problem is, is that left has directed its hate towards the right, and right has directed its hate towards the left, and uh, pro-gun has directed its hate towards anti-gun. Maybe you're right or left, and you're on one of those sides, or you're on that side. Um, However, there is this other um, beast, right, that I think that we're slowly but surely kind of highlighting and defining here, you know, uh, on our podcast and when we see the news sensationalizing sensationalizing this and then meanwhile saying nothing about this this you know brilliant social program which by the way uh the boston miracle thing uh i believe the the efforts have been duplicated in new orleans like these 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 reaching at risk youth really does work and you'll see the occasional article about it but it, it doesn't hit the front page there is part of me that I, I get it. You know what I'm saying? They're they're selling their thing. But we need to make fun of that. We need to hate on that. We need to take that hate that you've got for, you know, right and left. No, man, let's hit these people that keep trying to hijack all our conversations. Right. You know what I mean? Let's turn on them. Let's pitchfork. Let's torches in the streets. Uh, if you see an article um, that, that came... Uh, you know, came out and it's, it's right after, you know, Las Vegas. And it says, uh, yeah, we should ban all guns. Or you see an article right after Obama gets elected that says the government is coming to take every gun that you own tomorrow. Right. Lampoon that shit and point it out to your friends on the right and the left and say, those are the silly people that we don't mess. Now let's us have a conversation about I, what to I do. got an idea. Why don't we close the, the, quote unquote gun show loophole an overwhelming number of republicans and democrats all want to require background checks for private gun sales it seems like a trivial thing to do to me we give the existing notary system in the united states access to the national instant background check system uh anytime you sell a gun you show up at a notary they make a phone call yeah it gives the private sellers away that's right they get a yes or a no you charge a small fee um, and, and it's done and, and granted we need to make some, some fairly hefty penalties for failing, uh, to do the paperwork to transfer a gun, but we do that for cars. We do it for boats. We do it for motorcycles right. and ATVs. And no, I think, I think, so what you've touched on there is that there are common sense places that we've already gotten in common. So instead of, um, losing sight of that because we're swept up in that, that big argument of ban, no ban, or, you know, what have you. Let's focus on those for a second. Get those out of the way. Get those in place. See see how much that helps. Um, I think um, a perfect example uh, in, in, in my mind of where we, where we lose sight of things and where we let that emotion, like, take us away is I just recently heard about ghost guns. Um, I actually heard about it after the first episode, but before this one. And that's um, like three D printed. Yeah, guns. Uh, ghost guns. It's uh, you can uh, hit up a company and they will three D print all the parts for the gun. Doesn't require a background check. They they send it to you. You assemble it and blow. You have a semi automatic weapon or, or what have you. 
And um, here, here recently, the the reason I heard about it, the article I was reading, is that um, uh, Gifford's uh, uh, gun lobbying group has asked the host to shut down access uh, to this one particular ghost gun website. Um, and what really struck me was the dude's response to it is he said, but I'm following the law. He's like, I've, I've painstakingly made sure that everything that I'm doing follows our, our laws and regulations. He's like, if you think that ghost guns are bad ideas, by all means pass a law. So I, I have, you have to clarify for me because what I understood was that you could download the plans and feed it to your 3D printer and, and 3D print the pieces yourself. You're saying that the company was actually printing the pieces themselves? Yes. And sending like unassembled weapons? Yes. That's interesting. I've never I've never yeah. heard that. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe but, I misunderstood. But either, you know, one way or the other. Uh, you know, no, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, it had to be the parts because. I think like yeah. lower receivers or something have to be stamped on manufacture. There's some. Right. There's something there we, we got to figure out because. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can just mac- manufacture weapons without a serial number. I, so, right. so there's probably part of it that you know someone has to download and do this. I would, I would assume. Yeah. yeah. Um, However, I, I think you know. Okay, so at the end of the day, 3D printers are going to vastly complicate gun law. Well, whether whether I've received the plans or the parts or what have you. So let's assume for a second in in, in 10, 20 years that um, 3D printers are ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all have access to them. And the only thing stopping someone from acquiring an automatic weapon is the will to not take the plans and feed them to your printer. Right. So no amount of laws, no amount of of surveillance. Or, I mean, what does that do for the black market? I mean, it's it's a file. I mean, you know. You can encrypt the file and store it. There's no way to stop this file from spreading unless you completely clamp down on the Internet. Yeah. Um. Imagine a world where where that's reality. Mm-hmm. No amount of laws are ever going to stop people from acquiring these weapons. So right. at that point, do we get to stop and say, let's finally attack the issue? Yeah, yeah. Well, when these when these tools can be can be made like a like a Minecraft block. Yeah. No that that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at is is we will have to do that because now it's a moot point. And instead, in in this particular instance, right, um, we're focused on well, let's shut down access to this website, and that's going to you and know, that's and what that's terrifies me. That's what right. terrifies me because when we start, when we start setting the precedent for clamping down on internet freedom, I mean, and we're already seeing it with with torrenting and and yeah. uh, you know file sharing and stuff, and, and the government wanting to clap clamp down on on servers that aren't even located in, in the country or in a country with laws. That, that recognize copyright law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's already some issue there. Anytime we start giving ground to the government, we are slowly inching towards a place where political speech is, is controlled. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the definition of tyranny that, that we're all trying desperately to avoid here yeah. is, is having a government that, um, that controls oppositional speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how that's how quickly we can head down that road. You know what I mean? Is is, is by not, like I said, looking at the situation for what it is. All our efforts, if if okay, if we're gonna fight progress, right? 
Because, again, you know, obviously we, we've still got a little bit to figure out about what's exactly going on with ghost guns. But it, with what we're thinking, 3D printing, you know, gun parts, if we're going to fight progress, let's make a law about it. Let's not, oh, my God, I've got to save lives. Let's just shut it down. And and now, like you said, now there's a precedent for somebody else to say, well, oh, my God, uh, shake and bake, you know, chicken uh, stuff. It's it's making people fat. We've just got to shut that down. You know, that's what we where we, we begin cross to in. lose stuff. <laughs> we begin to slowly give this and that. And I know, you know, people people hate on the slippery slope and, and, and what have you, but it's well we're shutting websites down over over hate speech yeah you know i I, there is a slippery slope and and we're sliding down and i think it's up to us to both recognize the true evil in the world because honestly this the slip we're we're falling down this slippery slope on the premise of good versus evil on all sides whether it's hate speech whether it's guns uh or or any of these other big big national issues so we have to recognize the evil and and fight it but we also have to recognize that the weapons we use against evil can easily become tools for evil and right. and these are the lessons that that created america and and all of a sudden people are forgetting why we have freedom of speech and why it's important to defend the speech of people you don't agree with right. um, even if they're hateful um you know that those lessons we've we've forgotten, yeah, completely. And and I would I would also add that I think people need to value um, themselves and their time and their energy uh, way more dearly than they do. Um, I think you know people again. You you feel like there's this you know massive tidal wave coming at you, and you're just one person. And and in in that context, maybe it makes sense to let the NRA do your thinking for you when it comes to gun control, or maybe it makes sense to let the the Gifford organization do your thinking for you and stuff. And 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 don't do that because you do have the ability to go out there and 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 affect some change, and you have the ability to be a voice, you know, for for other people to sit there and and, and say, yeah, wait a minute, hang on. And, and let's look at it like this. And, and you can definitely j- create a, a, just a more stable, insane, you know, a, a new bubble that's not just insane and, and ready to blow at any moment. And we might be able to actually help all these people who are dying and, 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 and do something about this if you will just not carelessly throw away your energy to the first thing that sounds like it might solve the problem for you, hmm. you know, do, do a little thinking as church. So church. Um, I think, uh, that is going to wrap up our two episode Epic on guns. Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed it. Uh, we are enjoying ourselves, uh, except for now, because now is the time where we let Benzo, uh, come through and tell us how awful we are. Benzo. Well, I'll tell you good people. What? Since Sense and Theory eased off a notch for this one, old Beanzo will too. The fellas are right that this topic requires us to be as clear as possible so an effective conversation can take place and hopefully help us find a solution. In that vein, I caught four things that needed to be addressed this week. First up, we got Sense. Buddy, you said that background checks for gun sales did not require the serial number of the purchased firearm. 
Actually, the serial number of the weapon being bought is provided on Form 4473 so it can be run against government databases to ensure it's not stolen. While the government is lawfully supposed to destroy this record within 24 hours, the seller is required to keep this record of purchase for 20 years and turn it over to law enforcement if requested as part of an investigation. Theory? Buddy? You said there have been no mass shootings in Australia since their gun buybacks and bans went into effect. In fact, as recently as 2014, there were two mass shootings in Australia with the Hunt family murders and the so-called Sydney siege. And you guys seemed a little bit foggy, no pun intended, on the effects of the British handgun ban in 1997. While there was a drop in both the firearm and overall homicide rate in Britain immediately following the ban, within two years, both rates reached 10-year highs and did not return to pre-ban levels for seven more years. And last, but never least, to clarify about quote-unquote ghost guns, while 3D printers do present new challenges to gun laws going forward, the business in the article the theory referred to has a different business model. Ghostgunner.net sells you a kit comprised of a CNC machine and an 80% complete receiver, which the buyer then uses the CNC machine to complete. And that's all for this week. I know y'all will be listening next week when they screw up even more times. Theory, back to you. Thank you, Benzo. Yes, uh, we, we never want to disappoint, so we'll be sure to do all kinds of research and make extensive show notes and then uh, kind of toss them by the wayside and try to do it for memory so uh, so we don't disappoint. Uh, but, yeah, that uh, that's going to wrap it up no, for us on... No, it's, it's not going to wrap it, no, wrap it up no, for us. Maybe it's um, not. So we paused before the outro, and I recognized... Um, a sense of defeat in the room. And as we sat for break and, and, and had beers and talked on the back porch, I felt a sense of personal defeat. And I thought, you know, why, why is that? You know, we, we did our research and, and, and we talked about, you know, what we could do. And I realized, yeah, we can, we can talk about, but, but you have to do it at some point. So, I am going to start a petition to require background checks for private gun sales. And I'm asking all of you to have some common sense and do it and do it. Sign the petition. If you're an NRA member, call the NRA and tell them that you support background checks for private sales. It's, a, it's simple to do. We can give the power to notaries. We can give the power to FFLs. Uh, the link to that will be in the show notes. It'll be in the description. Um, hit it, guys. Let's change something today. And uh, and I think it's pretty awesome that um, that idea, at least, you know, as far as with notaries, arose uh, just from us doing this show and, like, having this conversation without being at each other's throats. And what do you know? A, a, a decent, a good idea to me, it sounds good to me, arose from having a simple conversation about this. So it took some hard work. It did. It did. Uh, but again, uh, thank all of you for listening, and uh, you know, we'll see you next time. Taylor Swift. Hey, folks. I'm Sense, one half of the Sense of Theory podcast. 
I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening. Uh, it's your time and attention that makes this show worthwhile. Uh, we do the show for you and our listeners. Um, I'd ask you to leave a review, good or bad, on iTunes. Uh, come check us out on the various social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find the links uh, in the description to the show. And uh, if you want to reach out with a comment, uh, joke, uh, funny anecdote, uh, you want to call me an idiot, uh, sense of theory podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks again, folks, and we'll see you next week.